In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Jesse, how's it going? It's going, man. It's been a rough week, but I'm glad to be back on the pod. Sorry we missed the midweek one. I was uh, out of commission. <laughs> all good. All good. Everyone understands that, Every, especially with a young kid like you have. Everyone understands the issues that come with that, right? Uh, I suppose so, man. I, I, I missed practice Wednesday. I'll just be up front. I had to get a couple of IV bags uh, at, at urgent care. So, yeah, it's been that kind of week, but... Uh, now we can talk some football now that we've uh, completed the open practice portion of the schedule. Yeah, we have. We got to see eight practices. I should say most of us got to see eight practices. Uh, <laughs> but yes, we had an opportunity to, to see all the practices that uh, were open. And, you know, now Wisconsin, I think they got two more practices that are, I guess, uh, part of fall camp. And then they'll transition into getting ready for Penn State, which is coming up. Less than two weeks, man. It's it's coming up quick, right? It's September fourth against Penn State at Camp Randall, eleven o'clock game. Um, tickets still available if you're looking to to get to the game. A little bit surprising. Does that surprise you at all? A little bit that there that there are some tickets still available, or you think it's just going to probably be something that happens this year as people still a little, uh, I guess, not concerned, but you know, maybe don't want to deal with some of the stuff or don't want to be involved in some of the stuff that is going to bring thousands of people together. Yeah, it doesn't entirely surprise me. I think the circumstances are, are still unique. They're obviously much better than they were last year that we've got more than cardboard cutouts. But uh, however many people are be, are going to be there, I, I think it's going to be a, a fun, crazy atmosphere, even for an 11 a.m. game. Maybe everybody will be there by kickoff. Yes, uh, that's probably unlikely. <laughs> well, we can remain optimists. You, you go ahead and remain optimistic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that probably isn't going to happen, but... I will say that uh, they did have a, a nice turnout on Saturday for their open practice. I, I, I believe the number that they uh, had requests for was 4,400, right around 4,400 uh, requests for digital tickets. The rain, I think, may have uh, scared some people off in the morning, but uh, I want to say maybe like 3,500 showed up. So it was good. A couple, uh, they didn't really, they, they got some teamwork and team drills in and didn't do any, any tackling or anything like that. So again, it was kind of like what it's been for much of fall camp that we got to see is, you can only glean so much. However, you know, the Wednesday practice that unfortunately Jesse wasn't at, you know, throughout fall camp, we had talked about how rough the offense had looked to this point. I mean, we had questions. We certainly talked about Graham Mertz the last episode about how some of uh, maybe he wasn't playing at the level that maybe maybe many of us thought he would uh, in fall camp after the, well, I think both of us would agree a, a nice step during spring ball. And that it just seemed to not carry over. And how much of that was the defense? How much of that was just the you know inconsistency along the offensive line? You know, wide receivers here and there. But on Wednesday, the Graham Mertz that everyone was expecting showed up. He had his best, easily his best practice. It was the offense's best practice too. The team was in full pads. He led a couple of scoring drives, threw a a really nice touchdown, had a couple of just darts to Kendrick Pryor. Like it was as good as I think he's looked in a practice. And that's pretty good, considering I think he had a really good spring. But it, it certainly had to at least, I think some people um, had to like exhale a little bit after that practice with him, right? I mean, it, you don't want to put too much on it because we don't get to see all the practices. We got to see eight practices. They've practiced a lot more than eight times. So it's very possible that he had great days other days. But for the practice that we have seen, that was 
kind of the best of Graham Mertz. And it gave you a little bit of a, a feeling that maybe this offense isn't going to be what we saw the first five practices. I think a lot of times when we have an opportunity to see multiple practices like we have during fall camp, you get a pretty good sense by the end of who's going to play where, the way things are heading. But I also I agree with you in the sense that I, I, I hesitate to make more of a story <laughs> uh, out of something than, than maybe it needs to be. And the reason I say that is because of all the factors that we don't necessarily uh, know about or, or, or aware of. Like, I think there were some issues at times where timing and communication with receivers, and this is not like Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, this is different guys that they're trying to work in there where that seemed to be an issue. I, I distinctly remember, and maybe this was practice Monday, that like Graham threw an interception and you, you immediately hear that and go, uh-oh, but I, Jack Eskenbach like didn't even see the pass. Like it didn't seem like they were on the same page. And later in the same practice, Graham threw a ball 20 yards over his receiver down the field into an open space, but Marcus Allen, true freshman receiver, uh, cut to the sideline. And I could see Graham going over to him afterward and talking with him. So I think there's some of that. I, I, I There is certainly, yes, it's true that, that Graham didn't seem to be as in rhythm or, or seemed to, to struggle at times, but this is going to be one of the best defenses in the country. They know the plays and Graham, it's not like all the time he was working with the, the top guys. So I think there are a lot of factors at play, but to your point, I think it was a, a reason to, to exhale, for, at least for some people, to see what Graham did on Wednesday. And I thought he continued it on, on a little bit on Friday as well. He delivered some some good passes into some tight windows. So that's that's kind of where we're at. I, I do think this offense is going to be very good this season, but there are some tough games coming up. Yeah, no doubt. I, again, I think it's a matter of how you want to look at it. And I think we, I should say myself, usually a glass half empty, half empty kind of guy. And, you know, there were certainly ways to look at it and be like, God, they're in trouble. This is going to be horrible, but you take a breath and, and you continue to watch and you see what you talked about. The idea that Graham going up to guys, and it's not just one play or two plays. It's almost after every play where he is, whether it's, whether it's good or whether it's bad, He's talking to him, and I think that is certainly a positive. And the timing you mentioned is is so important. I, there was one throw, the one that stands out about from Wednesday, was this uh, deep out to Chimray DK that arrived just as DK came out of his break. It was perfect. Like, and you have to the trust that you have to have in a guy is huge in that situation, right? Like, you have to believe in it. And there are some times where it looks like that, and then there's other times where he throws a deep ball and the guy cut off his route. And I yes. think I saw that with I saw that with Marcus Allen, you know, a guy who doesn't have a ton of reps with Graham. So you're going to see you're going to see those type of things, and um, it's a growing process, I guess, is what you would say. But yeah, he led a uh, his best drive, eight play, fifty yard touchdown drive. He finished it off with a two yard uh, score to Danny Davis. Then also had a later uh, dropped a, a perfect deep ball in DK for a thirty five plus yard gain. And it wasn't just Mertz; it was you know throughout the uh, passing game. Uh, Chase Wolf had a touchdown. Danny Vandenboom had a touchdown. Even Deacon Hill had a touchdown. So it was a really, really good day for the offense on Wednesday, and it was easily the best offensive practice that we had seen. Yeah, I, I would uh, say in, when comparing to, to all the other ones that I saw, that, that certainly sounds like the offense was on another level. And, and I do want to go back to the fact that I, this defense, I think we discussed it before, what the expectations are. I, I 
I feel much more optimistic about the defensive line. Um, again, that's a story I'm working on for this week, but like talking to Rodas Johnson and James Thompson Jr. and Matt Henningsen. When I talked to Matt, he said he told the coaches when fall camp started, like, I don't know if I can trust anybody. <laughs> he was, I, he said, I'm just being honest. I mean, and, and it made sense because outside of him and Keanu Benton and a hundred or so snaps from Isaiah Mullins, there are a lot of guys who really hadn't played, but he feels a lot better about it. I, I think they've got a, a really solid two deep and we know what they have at linebacker. We know for the most part what they have in the secondary. And I go back to even practice on Friday. I went back and counted and I believe five different defensive backs broke up a pass. Now, some of that may just be a bad play offensively, and these weren't all from Graham. Chase Wolf was throwing passes as well. But I think there's a lot of playmakers on that defense, and we saw it even last week, two Saturdays, Saturdays ago now, which we talked about before. Graham was under pressure on every drive during the scrimmage that they had. There were circumstances where if, if a guy could have sacked him, they would have gotten three sacks on, on some drives. So now that happened because they were also missing their top four offensive tackles. But I do, I just think that that, that has contributed a lot to what we've seen. And I do think when Graham's got the first team guys in with him, that it's going to look a lot, a lot more smooth. Before we get into, you know, some of the guys that were missing uh, that you, you just mentioned that certainly are going to could potentially impact what the offense does. We saw what it looked like last year when it didn't have its full complement of weapons uh, and, and injuries along the offensive line. But the, you mentioned the defensive line in Matt Henningsen. I saw something yesterday that I don't think I'd seen in practice yet. And that was Keanu Benton working at defensive end in their base. It was Bryson Williams, Isaiah Mullins, and Keanu Benton with uh, Bryson Williams as a nose tackle. I think that might be something to watch. Uh, potentially, because we know that Keanu is working in the nickel, you know, in a a, no, a defensive tackle spot in the nickel is one of the two D, two down linemen along with Matt Henningsen. But yesterday, saw it in the three four in the base, which I had not yet seen in fall camp. So that's that's just one note that I had from yesterday. That uh, there wasn't a, lo- a whole lot of notes from yesterday, but uh, certainly that is one I think I'm going to be watching and asking about you know, moving forward, whether they could potentially play, you know, Bryson at nose tackle and Keanu at defensive end, and then have Matt Henningsen at defensive end, if you want to get a little bit more beef up front. And I know obviously, you know, Isaiah Mullen's a big kid and so is James Thompson Jr. But, and, and Rodas Johnson for that matter as well, but, you know, maybe a little bit more experienced beef, I guess you would say. Yeah. That is like a big, big package. I feel like we got those three that you mentioned in on the field. And ultimately the goal is to get the best guys with the, the ones that you trust the most on the field. And, um, that is if you've got Keanu and you've got if Ross Kalaji says that his ceiling is as high as anybody to come through there, certainly at that position in a long time, then you got to take advantage of it. So get him on the field as much as you can. All right, let's get to some of the, the concerns. And I, I think it starts at the top with Danny Davis, who practiced on Wednesday. I told you he had the touchdown from Graham Mertz, a two yard uh, spot. He wasn't targeted again. And then we get word. You know, and they didn't practice Thursday and then show up Friday and, and he is out with a head injury. And obviously, you know, you wouldn't think too much of it, but he missed five games last year with that head injury that he sustained against Michigan, never returned. He didn't practice Friday. He didn't practice Saturday. Thank you to, I think it was Chris Hall from their video staff from posting a picture from practice today, uh, was not practicing today either, um, uh, Sunday that is. So three straight days, not practicing. How concerning is that for you? It's got to be concerning to some degree because of his history. 
Um, we've seen him miss practices before, but what happened last season that he played the first two games, got the concussion against Michigan, and he even talked about in the spring and at media day, the day before fall camp started, uh, about like he wanted to come back, but he wasn't able to. It, he obviously had concerns about what happens if you try to push yourself and CTE and those things. So it has to be a concern because staying healthy is the, the biggest hindrance to his game. If he's on the field, he clearly can be a difference maker and, and I think can be their number one in a, in a big way. But I, we, this is kind of a wait and see mode right now because we're not going to have an opportunity to see any more of the open practices. And as they close things up, it's really when you start to prep for the opener because we're, we're two weeks out, less than two weeks out from the first game. Yeah. Again, the, the problem with trying to do this is, you know, he was there like, so he had the, I mean, I would assume the injury was Wednesday. Uh, he was there on Friday, throwing the ball to wide receivers and individual drills. He was riding a bike. Like he was, he was involved. It's not like he was in a dark room somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it, it's not like it was something so serious that he couldn't even be out there. And, you know, for the most part, that's what it was last year. We didn't get to see him a, a ton. I know he warmed up before the Indiana game, like in very, very early, early warmups, and he hadn't been ruled out to that point. But, you know, then he, you know, wasn't even a consideration the rest of the year. So, yeah, I, I, that is obviously the one that I think everyone is is really, truly have their eyes on. And, and we will as well, because I, w- without him, I'm not saying the offense can't be successful without him. I think Chimray has taken a step. And if, and if Kendrick Pryor stays healthy, I think they've, they've got some weapons. But those three together, along with Jake Ferguson, makes the passing game, I think, dangerous. And, and uh, you know, without Danny, it's not as dangerous. So, yeah. And, and the other thing is if, and this is speculation at this point, but since he hasn't practiced for three days, if he's not available, then everybody sort of, you're dropping down in, into the depth chart. So then if you want to have a three receiver set is, is Jack Dunn, your third guy. I mean, yes. beyond, I, I think, well, yes, but beyond that, like there's a clear too deep, there's a clear top four. And I think after that, there's a lot of I don't know. To me, there's at least a a bit of a drop off. I mean, AJ Abbott had some moments. I I feel like AJ and Devin Chandler, two guys that took big steps in the spring, maybe didn't have as many opportunities in the fall, but there weren't a lot of those moments where you went, wow, the guy is ready to challenge for a spot in the two deep or something like that. You might have to rely on those two though. Um, Or a Marcus Allen, which I, I thought he got a lot more opportunities and has potential, but, it's like you said, totally different if you don't have Danny in there. Yeah. Devin Chandler had uh, kind of been MIA and I, and again, it's, you know, opportunities, you know, whatever, but in Skelly yesterday jumped up and got a 50, 50 ball on a, on a deep one from Graham it, during the open practice. And it was, it was the highlight play of, for him in camp. There's no doubt about it. And he was obviously excited about it. We saw a ton of, I say a ton, we saw a number of those in the spring. We just haven't seen him in the fall and, Again, it's just you know potentially the lack of opportunities, but he took advantage of it uh, on Saturday. And you're right, Marcus Allen. The opportunities for him have grown significantly. It's just um, you know how quickly can he jump in and how quickly can he make an impact? I think physically he's ready. Uh, the other freshman receiver, Skylar Bell, mispractice uh, the last two that w- that we got to see. So that obviously with a leg injury, I believe. So that's it. Seems like that's going to put him behind a little bit. But without Danny it's not ideal just because you don't have a ton of proven guys behind them. So that that's the one injury. And then, and then it's obviously the offensive line throughout 
fall camp, you know, you just haven't had the guys and Tyler beach seemed like he was making a lot of progress, uh, was in pads on, on Wednesday was in pads on Friday. Didn't take part in team drills, but you know, they were getting him back. And then I don't know if he had a setback or if they were just resting him, but he did not dress on Saturday. And, uh, so we'll see if, if he was back and, and ready to go Monday when, when we get a chance to talk with players again, but you know, him and Logan Bruss both battled injuries in camp and you need both of them right now because behind them, at least, you know, to start camp, it was going to be Tanner Bordellini and, and Logan Brown. And both of those guys are out. Brown's got a head injury. Bordellini's got a leg injury. I would not expect Bordellini to be available for, for Penn State. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Logan when he's able to come back. He's been out, a, I think, a week now with that head injury. So, yeah, the, the, the death that tackled, not ideal because then after that, I mean, they've, Cormac Sampson is all over the place. I mean, the dude, has played center. He's played guard. He's played tight end. Then he was lined up with the first team at left tackle the last few days in practice in place of Riley Malman, the, the true freshman. I think, you know, Cormac has just been, hasn't been able to really concentrate on one spot just because I think he's, he's so versatile, which is obviously what you want, but you know, the, the reason behind him having to be, be versatile, not ideal. Yeah. So this wasn't a problem that I expected to, to have crop up in fall camp for Wisconsin, but same as Danny Davis, Logan Brown, he was working on the stationary bike. He was out there at, uh, at practice on Friday. So I don't know the severity of that, but sort of like you were saying about Danny, not, not like he's sitting in a dark room. Bordellini's injury didn't look good. I'm not a doctor, but he was somebody that Joe Rudolph was so high on coming into fall camp and clearly was one of the, the top nine, one of the four that Rudy said was really pushing starter reps and, Obviously, Joe felt good enough about him to move him out of a, a center spot and put him over a tackle. He was playing both tackle spots. So they're down a bit in terms of depth. But ultimately, if, if Beach and Bruss are healthy, then you got a pretty damn good first team line, which now includes Joe Titman, which to me, and I'm sure we were going to get into this, the surprise of fall camp. Of Easily. The, the one position that I did not see that coming. Yeah, no, easily, easily the surprise along the offensive line. Caden Lyles, healthy, which certainly has been a challenge for him throughout his career. But same, you could say the same thing for Joe Tipman, uh, staying healthy. And I think at this point, and I said it after I think practice on Wednesday, that if if Joe Tipman is healthy, or maybe it was Friday, if Joe Tipman is healthy, he's going to be the starter against Penn State. Like I just think he's at that point where we've seen him with the first team offense for a week straight, and you know Caden has a ton of experience, and you love to have that as a backup, but. You know, Joe, it's, I think Joe has just gotten to the point where he's, he's better than Caden right now. And Joe Rudolph has given him every opportunity to win that job and hold on to that job. And I think right now he's going to be that, that guy come September 4th, which Rudy. again, as you, as we said before, rather big surprise. I, I would not have called that one. Yeah. Because Lyle is a guy, he had that season where he started on the defensive line, but even if you just look at what he's done as an offensive lineman, he's played in 17 games. He has eight career starts. He started the first four games of last season at center, and then obviously he suffered the torn MCL in his right knee and a tibia fracture in his right leg against Indiana. But then he was a full participant in spring practice, and so it just seemed like, well, he's going to resume the duties. And at the time, Joe Tippman was still dealing with the arm injury that he suffered last season that kept him out for, for most of the year. I remember we, we got to watch him snap some skelly to yeah. Graham, and that was it. But Rudolph has liked him. Ever since he recruited him, obviously, he's viewed Tippman as someone who could play any position on the line. And back in 2019, which was Tippman's true freshman year, he played center on the scout team 
And then last year, Rudolph wanted him to compete with Lyles and then Cormac Sampson at center. But there came a time where we can't have three guys snapping enough. So he ultimately moved him over to guard and he played a couple games there and then got hurt. So it, this has been brewing for a little bit that that Rudolph wanted to get him a, a more serious look at center. And, and for him to take over the position the way he has says a lot about his talent level to come in and take it away from somebody who's a, a multi-year starter. I don't know how much stock you put in pro football focus and the grades that they give, but I know that they have not been necessarily kind to Caden Lyles in his, in his time. But again, he was good enough to start at Wisconsin for parts of two separate, two different years. And that doesn't just happen, but I don't think it's a matter of Caden playing poorly, right? Like I think it's just, I think it's Joe taking the job. I think that's what it is. That has to be viewed as a positive because he's got so much room to grow because he is still so young and so uh, inexperienced that there's there. It feels like there's just, a ton, a ton, like the ceiling's really, really high for Joe Tipman, considering the lack of experience he has playing center, whether in college or in high school. I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a center in high school. He didn't play the spot. So just to be able to do that at this point and, and take a job away from a guy who's been a multi-year starter, as you said, I think that's a positive for the Badgers. Like, I don't view that as a negative whatsoever. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, I think it's important to note that evaluating offensive line play, especially for us. What we do is just the hardest thing that you could do. So <laughs> Rudolph is seeing things that we don't, but it, from us, I agree. It's not, it doesn't, it didn't look like Kane Lyles is, is making all these mistakes and he's clearly doesn't deserve to be out there. I do think it is more of Tipman took the, took the job and you're right. He was, he was a left tackle in high school. He was just, he led the team in pancakes. I think he had over a hundred pancakes his senior year. They went back and looked at the film, which was like three times more than anybody else on the team. So, but it says a lot about his versatility that that he can come in and do this at center because we see this a lot. A tackle in the high school level isn't always going to stay a tackle at Wisconsin, especially with the fact that Rudolph wants to cross train people. But there are some tackles that they are tackles, right? Like Logan Brown, he is a tackle. Um, Tittman can do it all on the line. And so, uh, yes, his ceiling is very high considering that he doesn't have much experience playing center, certainly not in games. I know this isn't, this isn't a 2021 question. It's kind of a future question, but I you know, just looking at how they've done these lineups, I kind of see like the future being, and we'll see what happens with Logan Brown and if he's able to to stay healthy. That has been obviously a problem, but like I can see a future where it's Tipman at center, uh, JP Benchwall at at left uh, guard, you know Riley Malman or Logan or um, Nolan Rucci at left tackle. You've got you know, right guard and Jack Nelson. Then your right tackle could be Trey Wedig or it could be Malman or it could be Brown or it could be Ruchi. It could be any of those guys, but that that starting five, I think could be pretty special when you oh, yeah. just, just paper on paper that potentially being the starting lineup, whether it's next year or the year after certainly makes you, I think if you're a Wisconsin fan, pretty excited. And then obviously you have a whole bunch of, of these other guys coming in, whether it's Joe Brunner or the uh, Billy Shrouth, who, you know, we'll see if he ends up committed or not, but you know, they've got some other guys going to be coming in after this as well. It's just the, the, the talent that they're going to have along the offensive line, paper talent, I should say, um, certainly encouraging. Oh, I think it could be devastating for opponents and, and pretty nasty. I, I think that it is as talented as, as any group that's come through here, maybe ever, purely from the on-paper perspective. What I what yes. I mean by that is is the recruiting rankings. This they To have two five-star guys in the program that both play tackle, with Rucci and Brown to have Jack Nelson, who became a five-star player <laughs> after dominating at the All-American Bowl, and all those other guys are four-star guys, number one guys in their state. 
yeah, it's got a chance to be pretty special when it all comes together. But for now, um, it, you know, a lot of those guys <laughs> don't have to be major contributors, assuming the older guys can stay healthy. Yeah, no doubt. So the other, the other spot I think that we watched coming into fall camp was, was running back. And, you know, there was the other injury concern, at least this week was Jalen Berger dropping out of practice. Now, I think that was Monday that he, that he dropped out of maybe. Yeah. I don't know which, which day it was, but uh, he was not dressed on Wednesday. However, he did return for practice on Friday and then uh, was held out of team drills that day, but then took part in team drills on Saturday. And I actually thought that was kind of the best he looked and actually kind of the best the running game had looked like there were some and, you know, you never know because you can't tackle or not tackling guys. But I thought him and Chez both had several really impressive, like physical runs up the middle that I don't think we'd seen from them a lot this year. And I don't know, maybe it was just the crowd getting them a little, uh, a little bit of extra juice, but it felt a little bit different with those two guys. And I, again, very hard, very, very hard to determine wh- where they are in terms of not tackling. But some of the move the ball periods had some really nice uh, runs in there. I thought Chez especially um, had it. And I'll say this, I, I think Chez is going to be the starter come September 4th. And I think both of them are going to play a ton, but I think Chez is, has uh, done enough earned enough to be the guy come f- when that first possession rolls out. Now, again, four years ago, it seemed like uh, Bradrick Shaw and Chris James, when the practices were closed, that they were going to be the starters and be the bell cows throughout the entire year. And obviously Jonathan Taylor came on and carried more than 300 times that year and ran for over 2000 yards. Uh, and at that point that they closed practice, which I feel like was a little bit earlier than they closed practice this year, he was like fifth on the depth chart. So I'll, I, I'm saying that with you know with Chaz and, and Jalen, I think Chaz is gonna be the guy, but we'll see between those two. But I think the other guy who's had a really good camp is is Isaac Grendo. Yeah, and that's who I was gonna bring up. I like your bold take though that you think Chess is gonna be get the first first touch there, the first be out there on the first play. Cause from what we've seen to this point, at least when both of them were healthy, and maybe it is uh I don't know if seniority is the right word since Jalen's only been here one season, played in four games, but Chez was the transfer that Jalen would get generally like the first two carries and then Chez would come in and I think Chez will be the the third down guy, but I think he'll have a much bigger role than that. Yeah. Isaac, I thought he had a very good week and some of that had to do with more opportunity. As you said, Jalen went down and someone had to carry the ball. He looked smooth. He looked quick. He had a couple run plays where he kind of broke through the hole and got at least a first down and Running backs coach Gary Brown has said basically that Garendo's versatility and skill is too good for him not to carve out a niche for himself. He was confident that it would be something. So I think it does provide a, a nice dynamic for Wisconsin. And these are the top three that we envisioned going into camp, but having seen it now, certainly for Garendo, at least, who was the biggest question mark because he hadn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, I think he's put himself in good position. I do too. And I also think, you know, the, the best thing, not the best thing, but the, the, the thing I love to see was on Wednesday, he did a, uh, I don't know, it was an end around and he was giving the ball up to somebody else and he got flipped on his head and went down and it looked bad. Like it looked like it was going to be something serious. I don't know if his knee, whatever it was, but he was able to get up, get off the field. And then he worked it out. Like whether it was doing the running on the sideline, with the trainers, like he worked it out and he returned. And I thought that was a really, and I know it is what it is. It's practice, but I thought that was really good on his part. Like he, he knows that he can't miss time. Injuries have derailed him to the, to 
far or too much to this point. He can't he can't miss valuable reps like that. And I thought that was awesome that he got back in there, didn't miss barely missed any time, and then uh, was back at practice on on Friday and Saturday and, and looked no worse for wear. So that has to be in my mind. That's a huge positive guy who has dealt with injuries, shaking one off, getting back in there and keep going. That's that's huge in my mind. Yeah, I would agree. I, I what I really want to know is how many touches is Braylon Allen going to get? <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do with him? Because it seemed like there were times where he got more opportunities. He was getting carries with the twos. Was he fourth on the depth chart? Was he fifth? And he has moments that you go, wow, but he still doesn't know the playbook and everything. I, I just he's such a talent. And he's got four games to work with, too. That's the other thing to keep in mind to, to retain the red shirt in a full year. I, I don't know if there's room after the top three, but if someone's going to break through that you didn't, didn't expect, um, it could be him. I feel like after that Amon Williams play where he put him on the ground, that every time he is in the game, defense is very aware and has no interest in being the next Amon Williams. Because <laughs> and I do not blame them because that made the social media rounds. You don't want to wind up on your ass because a 17-year-old tr- true freshman put you there. It was an unreal play. And every time he's been in now, it just feels like everyone is focused on him. I know Mike Mascalunas has gotten after him a couple times, whether it was individual drills or in team drills. Like, you're not going to embarrass me. Like, that's that's not what's going to happen. And so I feel like team, I feel like people are really jacked up and we haven't seen nearly as many, you know, flash plays from him since since that day against Amon Williams. But I will say the other guy that, that flashed on the, in Wednesday's practice was Julius Davis. Julius Davis had this great 23-yard run up the middle that he finished off out to the outside, and they were tackling. He was out, it finished off to the outside by stiff-arming him and throwing the guy down as he went out of bounds. It was really, really uh, probably the best run I've seen from Julius in a UW uniform. And there were there was another one on, on Saturday that was a, a nice-looking run, too. So I... He may be starting to make his presence felt a little bit, but again, there's just so few carries to go around after those top three that I don't know if he's going to, I don't, I wouldn't say that he's been more impressive than anybody else. So it's going to be really difficult for him to get on the field. You would think, but I, it's, it's about opportunity and, you know, it's kind of funny. uh, Nate Tice, the former backup quarterback turned athletic slash a uh, whole bunch of other things, uh, video expert for the NFL. Didn't, didn't he, he was on the Atlanta Falcon staff for a while too, I think with his dad in some, some way, either way, he posted the thanks to Jeff Duckworth, former Wisconsin receiver who posted a video from him, from Jonathan Taylor's first ever carry from his freshman year. And it was the one that he took back. He took for a touchdown, broke five tackles <laughs> for a touchdown against the number one defense, Chris Orr, Natrell Jamerson, like all these guys. And Julius's dad quote tweeted and said, just need the opportunity. And I, you know, and, and it's kind of what it was because Jonathan Taylor wasn't getting opportunities. He was behind Chris James, Bradrick Shaw, Rashid Ibrahim, and Taiwan Deal when practice closed. And Taiwan Deal got hurt. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor jumped in there. And, you know, I, I think Paul Chris said like the day before he had been on scout special teams, you know, like the, that's where he was at that point in his career. And I'm not saying that Jonathan Taylor wouldn't have gotten been Jonathan Taylor without the injury to Taiwan deal, but it gave him an opportunity and he didn't, he made the most of it. And that's kind of what I, I imagine. I imagine Julius Davis's dad is thinking, just give him the opportunity and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Opportunities certainly were few and far between, which is something that Gary Brown's acknowledged. It's really difficult to give everyone an equal opportunity when you have 10 running backs in the room. And at a certain point, the opportunities get fewer and fewer, which is right now, really, because as I said before, this is when you start prepping for the first game and you start drawing up plans and 
who's going to be in when and how many carries can these guys get? And Gary said, he's going to ride the hot hand, but right now it's going to be from one of the top three options. So I don't know what Julius's role will be. And really it probably ultimately comes down to would he get those opportunities? If somebody else ahead of him is hurt, I think he can do some damage. We really haven't seen it since high school. The talent is there. It's just a matter of, of putting it all together and, and staying healthy and, and getting those chances. Yeah. He's a smooth runner. Like I, there, there is some smoothness to his game. So that's that again, that's, that's why the spring was so huge. Like he had an opportunity in the spring with all those injuries to do, to, you know, to do something and he couldn't do it because he was injured and the inability to stay on the field. That would have been the ability to make that first impression in spring on Gary Brown was monstrous and he missed out on it. And whether that, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to blame a guy for being hurt. That's just what it is, you know, and those opportunities would have been significant considering they were running fullbacks. And uh, what, what was it? It was uh, Quan Easterling. I think had more carries than any other, any of the other running backs uh, that spring, like everyone got hurt and he had an opportunity. He wasn't available. So opportunities come all the time and you have to be ready for them. And they, it's unfortunate he wasn't able to be so, but that, yeah, running back is an interesting interesting spot and it's one that i think i think is going to be a situation where there is not going to be a guy that is the guy does that make sense yep i don't see somebody carrying 25 times a game i, I just i don't i don't have it say that jalen or, or chez couldn't do it although i don't know i don't I think mean, they can uh, they, I don't they think would they love could. to but like the punishing and the pounding that you take in the big 10 it, it's I, I do think it's a it's a two-man job and honestly it, i think Garendo is going to get his fair share too. And I, I talked to Gary before the season started. I, I, I had mentioned this before, but they had a top three last year. And so I said, was, was that his plan? Did he want to have one guy? And, and any running backs coach would probably tell you, ideally you'd love to have one guy to ride. But he said, I also wouldn't mind if I had a Batman and a Robin. It's probably too early to call those two guys, Batman and Robin, since we really haven't seen him uh, in a game. But that's what I envision is, is, Maybe it's close to the same number of carries. It just so happens that one guy's the starter and, and the next guy gets the carries after him. So that's, that's sort of what, what I envision for the group. And if you're a Badgers fan, hopefully they can carry the load because that is obviously so important to what Wisconsin does. And we've seen in years past what happens when they don't have the horses there. All right, let's get into some sold or not sold here, Jesse. Graham Mertz will make an all Big Ten team this year. Sold or not sold, and no sold ish. So, what's that like? First team, second team, honorable mention, basically. Yep. yep. There's, I think there's first team, second team, third team, honorable mention. So, yes, there's at least four the thing quarterbacks. Is, well, at least three quarterbacks will be named. Yeah. The thing is, a lot of dudes make it onto honorable mention, and there's a coaches one, and then there's um, the did, the reporting. So, he did not, though, last year. No. Um, I will say I am not sold right Ooh, now. Boy. I, I, I just want to see it more consistently on the field. And, and, and I wish I had the list of all the Big Ten quarterbacks in front of me, but Mike, Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana, um, any Ohio State quarterback, they just named Stroud the, the starter. Um, so like that's two spots right there. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm not sold right now. It's interesting you say that. Like, you know, you look at some of these preseason magazines and they all have him like as a second or third team quarterback in the Big Ten. And I am a little bit surprised at that just because 
you know, one game was, was awesome and the rest of them weren't so awesome. And, um, you know, I, I, obviously everyone knows the talent is there. It's a matter of actually doing it, but I guess I'm, you know, I, I think, I do think he makes at least one of those teams, probably honorable mention, but it, it could be a lot bigger if, uh, you know, if, if the offense is able to stay healthy, I, he's again, I keep on saying it and say it over and over and over again. And, you know, it doesn't really matter until he actually does it, but he's, he's just as talented as a quarterback as they've had since Russell Wilson. And I just feel that talent is just too good to not be able to take advantage of. And I think he will take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's some, it, it's hard to predict because there's some really good quarterbacks in the big 10 that. Yeah. Tanner Morgan is back. Right. Again. Tanner Morgan and, and even uh, Talia Tongo Vailoa at Maryland and, and Sean Clifford at Penn state, like Penn state wasn't very good last season, but um Chase Adrian Wolf's Martinez, former teammate. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, and, and I was quarterback too, like Spencer, Spencer Petrus, Petrus. I mean, I, there's a lot of good players. I think, yeah, he could, he, I just want to see it more consistently. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Sold or not sold. Ches Malusi will lead Wisconsin in rushing. I am. I think I'm sold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even though right. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure why I feel that way other than <laughs> it, it, he's just, he's got more experience and I think he'll take advantage of his opportunities. Not to say that Jalen won't. And certainly he did last season. Um, but I'm, I, that's where I'm at. I'm trying to think of a, a guy that, Ches, you know, a guy that's played at Wisconsin reminds me of Ches, and I, I really can't do it. Like he's he he is he's different. He's not a big guy. Like him and Jalen are very similar. Like they're not huge, huge guys. They don't have like the Jonathan Taylor legs or anything like that. Can you think of anybody that he reminds you of? Like it, he's he. It's not Corey. It's not James White. It's not uh, Melvin. Like it's it's not Monte Ball. Like it's I I don't I can't think of a guy that he reminds me of at all yeah um and, and and i've been and i've been watching this you know obviously this for like 35 years and i can't i can't place where he's at right now i'm not uh, somebody i don't know the chris james type no chris james was a was a uh bowling ball like compared yeah. to what Ches is yeah i don't know but i think he's got a chance to be pretty special so does jalen but since you're making me pick one uh, I'll go with Chez. Okay. All right. Sold or not sold. Chimray DK will have more catches than Kendrick Pryor. Wow. I I'll say sold. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Pryor has had, what's the most he's had? 23, 25 in, in a season. And I mean, Chimmer had Chim- 10 last year. Yeah. I, Felt like more. It did. <laughs> I I think Chimray's in for a big season. Not, not to say Kendrick won't be, but again, you're making me pick. And Chimray's got a pretty darn high ceiling. He does. And it, it, it feels like a lot of the plays, a lot of the success Graham's had the last week has been targeted towards uh, Chimray. But KP was on the, on the uh, receiving end of like three different passes on Friday that um, we're all, it was, there was a dart 20 yard dart over the middle to, to Kendrick on a, uh, 
deep crosser. And then there, there were a couple of deep outs to him where the ball was right where it needed to be from, from Graham. So I think they're on the same page as well. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with Danny, if he's able to be out there or not, but I think I would agree. I, I am sold on the idea that he'll have more catches than Kendrick this year as well, but I think they're going to involve Kendrick in the run game too. Right. Where, you know, and Chim Chim got some, uh, opportunities in that he's not as dynamic i think as, as kendrick is kendrick has a play there was it's kendrick prior play that he scored that he scored on it like five times um in his in his three years before last year so and then sold or not sold nick herbig will lead wisconsin in sacks oh boy well, it's between him, Sanborn, and Leo Chanel in my mind, because I don't mm-hmm. think any other I don't think any other outside linebacker is a is a legit contender at this point. Um, I'm gonna go sold. I, I yeah, he was other than the practice he had to come out because he had some heat exhaustion. Like he had a big fall to me. He was very disruptive and that's been his focus this whole offseason. He had one sack last season. None of the outside linebackers had more than one. As an entire group, they had four among the outside linebackers. I think Sanborn's going to lead the team in tackles. I think Leo's probably going to be second. But I think Herbig is going to be – I think he's going to be number one in sacks this year. Yeah. The pressure – The I mean, the pressure is more important than sacks, but they certainly do want to get home. And, you know, who is it, uh, Bobby – April was talking about that and saying, yeah, what we did in 2019 kind of made it clear to teams that they need to get the ball in our hands. So we, our numbers were going to be down, but I, I do, I think it's going to kind of be like 2019 where I think that it's going to be Nick Herbig. And then one of the inside linebackers kind of like it was Zach Bond and Chris Orr. I don't know, obviously double digit sacks for both of them is asking a lot. I mean, that hasn't happened at Wisconsin very often to have two guys like that. But I think it, uh, to me, it will be Herbig or Chanel. I think that 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 would be those would be my choice. I probably lean towards Chanel because I think I do think Jim Leonard's going to get him involved in uh, in blitzing. He is he's just a terror coming through there. You know what I mean? Like and and obviously some of that is some of its timing and all that. Chris Chris Orr was great at that, but I think it's also just the absolute um, terror that he can be coming through. Um, you know when they're when they're blitzing that type of stuff. So yeah, we'll see. That was sold or not sold. I did want to, you know, just as we hit here, I think we've hit on a number of things. Our biggest question marks, I think we've already answered, but is there another, what's, if we have things that we have not yet talked about, is there a big question mark remaining for you uh, at any the particular kicking spot? Game. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, we made yeah, it this deep and we, we got to get real, uh, a real deep cut here with the, the kicking game. Yeah. Jack Van Dyke has not practiced all week, so it really hasn't been a competition. Uh, it's been Colin Larsh. Um, kicking by himself though i guess the, the other i shouldn't say by himself there's there the other walk on but yeah nate nate van zelst he got a day to himself yeah um a few practices ago yeah. i don't know I, 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 it was trending in the direction that it was van dyke's job because consistently since spring he'd been with the ones basically what they would do is in the in the drills the they would have a set of two field goals with the ones and colin larsh would come in kick two and then Van Dyke would have another set of two. So he was always getting four. Larsh was always getting two. That's a pretty darn good indication of the direction things are heading. Having said that, Van Dyke made a 51-yarder and in the same session missed a 29-yarder. So, uh, and this is somebody who hasn't 
made a college field goal. So I'm, you know, if he's not available, it'll be, it'll be Larsh and probably, and maybe this isn't fair to him because obviously he's worked very hard to, to be more consistent and be better, but maybe it'll be more of the same where there's a guy who's 15 for 18 on kicks from 40 yards and in, but he's two for seven on kicks from, from 40 and beyond. And that's, that's been the issue. And that's why it has been an open competition since the spring. But I just think at this point, you'd like that position, which is so important as we've seen to be a little bit more settled. Larsh did have the leg yesterday from 50 plus. It, it, it was just off, but he did have the leg. So at least, at least that's that. I mean, he's, he's got a little, he's, he's added a little bit of strength to the leg, but that continues to be a, you're right, a spot that could wreak havoc on them. Uh, just like it can for most college programs, right? Like I think there's, there's plenty of college programs out there that with the kicking game can, uh, can ruin a season. And, um, I, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's at that point yet, but all it takes is one kick. You know what I mean? Like all it takes is like a one miss against, uh, against Penn state and you lose the game or one miss against Notre Dame and you lose a game. So uh, hopefully it doesn't result in that, but <laughs> we'll see. Th- th- there was one big picture thing I wanted to talk about and that this big 10 ACC PAC 12 Alliance I see it and I understand. I understand. I mean, we'll see what it all involves. The, the announcement is apparently coming at some point uh, soon, according to your, to your folks at The Athletic. Uh, but to me, it's, it's, it's obviously just an opportunity. It's, it's an opportunity to try and throw up a block against, uh, against the SEC and what they're doing, right? Like that's essentially what this is, is to, to hold, to come together, you know, with other teams or and other, other conferences that have somewhat of the same values as you. Obviously, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have a lot of the same values. And I guess to a certain extent, the ACC does as well. And just holding uh, the ability to, to block anything voting-wise that potentially uh, could impact you. And I, I, that kind of feels what it is. Now, obviously, there may be benefits money-wise and then certainly scheduling-wise. But what, any initial thoughts on that at all? If it saves more realignment, then I'm I'm all for it. It's just been a, a constant for the last decade that in a lot of situations haven't made all that much sense. I think Oklahoma and Texas and the SEC would be awesome personally, but I have no stake in what happens in that conference. I think Rutgers and Maryland in the Big Ten um, doesn't make as much sense from a, a fan perspective, from a money perspective. That's what's driving it is to get into a new footprint. But ultimately what this is, is now you've got 41 schools that are trying to say we're in this together and, and hopefully that doesn't result in more dismantling of conferences. I mean, but I'm a traditional, you know, kind of the traditionalist. Like I, I grew up in Kansas, right? Kansas and Missouri. That was the, the big rival. It was the thing I always talked about with my friends. It was the one game in football, the two in basketball that you look forward to every year. It was so special and it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So like that, that's where I'm coming from. If you can try to keep some of these things intact for a little longer, um, then I'm all for it. I think that's, but I, I, you know, eventually that's, that's the way this is going though, right? I think most, a lot of people think that this is going to end up, you know, eventually going to be, I, I, where did I read it? It might've been in the athletic, uh, where it's going to be like a premier league style thing where you have like 20, 25 teams, the best programs, the ones that make the most money and they just, you know, play each other all the time. Yeah. I, that was a while ago. Right. I think the, in soccer, there was going to be a super league. One of our, our national columnists, Andy Staples, I think had proposed 
a super league or, I mean, I know it's been talked about since then he didn't include Wisconsin, which sparked its own debate. He had Nebraska yeah. in there over Wisconsin strictly based on the amount of money a school could make the, the level of national interest and prestige preposterous simply because I feel like, and I wrote about this on field results should make a difference. And, uh, can't get much more one-sided than <laughs> Wisconsin, Nebraska has been, but I, for now, um, I'm just ready to see a, a normal big 10 season. And, and, uh, I know I'll, you know, when Oklahoma and Texas are, are in the sec, it's, it's going to be a different world, a different landscape. So we'll see what happens here. I, I found it, Jesse, actually, it was, uh, Stuart Mandel, uh, talking about this. This was Friday. And he said, I do believe college football is headed towards an eventual Premier League-style confederation of the top 25 or 30 show programs that generate an overwhelming majority of the sports revenue, whether that's 5, 10, 15 years away, couldn't tell you. I mean, it, does, it seems more and more that there's a move away from the NCAA in charge of everything. And if oh, these schools yeah. decide it, then oh, yes. if these schools decide it, and I mean, who's going to stop them? <laughs> no, right? Way, right. But that, but that, but, but that is kind of the point of having that Alliance, right? Like it's, to, it's to have the ability to have a, a voting block that can overcome anything the sec wants to put out there. And, um, that's, that's kind of what, you know, my, my thought on that is, but it's probably going that way. And, you know, you just you would hope that Wisconsin would be a part of that. I think you probably would. I mean, the certainly the the on field success, but also the financial aspect of what Wisconsin brings in on a yearly basis, it certainly would put it in that realm as well. So, yeah, it wouldn't make a ton of sense that Wisconsin wouldn't be involved in in anything that involves some of the top twenty five or thirty programs that bring that generate the most money. They are certainly in that realm athletically. Now, football-wise alone, maybe that's different. I don't know. I don't think so. But uh, athletically overall, and certainly the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 want to continue to uh, operate their um, Olympic sports, and they offer more programs overall than the SEC does. So I think that's another part of it as well. But, yes, can't wait to uh, have a real football season in the Big Ten, and it gets started unlike, uh, I think, any Big Ten season, well, I guess last year, but any Big Ten season, normal Big Ten season for Wisconsin, at least, since I think it was 1981, the last time they opened at home in the Big Ten, that was against Michigan, number one Michigan, and uh, they beat them, and they get uh, Penn State, number 19 Penn State, uh, on September 4th in a game that could it probably is going to be a tone setter for them. Their first month of the season is going to be a tone setter for them, wouldn't you agree? Yes. Do you count last year, by the way, opening against I, Illinois? Well, that's why I said, I said, I said, you know, outside of last, I meant to say outside of last year where, you know, a normal in a normal season. Sure. Where everything is normal and you actually are playing in front of non cardboard cutouts. <laughs> um, yes. I believe this will be the first time since 1981 because last year was supposed to be Indiana, right? They were supposed to open the season at home against Indiana. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be the first uh, big 10 home opener since 1981. So, yeah, it's a monster first month. They haven't, granted, they haven't played Penn State very often. They haven't beaten Penn State since 2011. They've lost four straight games to the Nittany Lions. This is not an easy first game. They've got Michigan. They've got Notre Dame. So we're certainly going to know a lot about this team in the first month and whether this team is a legitimate Big Ten championship contender because they've, by all accounts, they've got the personnel to do that and and potentially push Ohio State. That's been the one hurdle. But uh you got to go out and prove it. So it's going to be fun. It will be fun. Can't wait. Uh, we will get an opportunity to uh, chat with some players this week. We'll have a little update maybe on where Danny Davis is and 
uh, where they where some of these other guys are injury wise, if they're going to be able to be ready for September fourth, as it is fast approaching, Jesse, less than two weeks. Uh, 11 a.m. kick at Camp Randall. We will be back uh, later this week for our second episode. Uh, I promise. I, I promise we will have two episodes this week. Uh, this is one. We'll have one way later this week. And then obviously that's going to be the way we do it throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, Jesse, until next time, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from, from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.